Okay, so the recorder is on, and just to begin, I'll state for the record that my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here with Eugene Henry Lamkin Jr., who goes by Ned Lamkin. And today's date is January 28th, 2020, and we are in Mr. Lamkin's home in Indianapolis, Indiana. So to start, if you could begin by telling me when and where were you born? I was born in 1935. Do you need a date? Sure. February 23rd, 1935, uh, in Owensboro, Kentucky. And what were your parents' names? Uh, Eugene Henry Sr. and uh, Nancy, Nancy Elizabeth Davidson Lamkin. Okay. And where is your family from originally? Is it Kentucky as well? Yes. Um, I don't know much beyond Kentucky. I wish I did. My grandmother was a McCoy, uh, and we've always wondered whether she was one of the Hatfields and McCoys. Oh, okay. And we've not been able to establish whether that is in fact the case or not the case. Sure. She does remember when the railroads came through that they bundled up the, the children and the women and took them away from all these foreigners. Oh wow! So it's, it, it goes back a ways, but I but beyond that, I don't know the origins. Interesting. And I think we're Scottish, however. Scottish, okay. Um, my the, the name Lambkin, as I understand it, is short for uh, Lambert, which is a branch of the Lamont clan. Hmm. And my mother was a Davidson, which is the the Davidson uh, clan in oh. in Scotland. And when I did a genealogic. Uh, saliva test. Oh, okay. It said I was uh, was Scandinavian and and British Isles, which would be perfect for yeah. Scotland because Scotland was populated heavily by the yes the uh, people from Norway. True. Okay. Interesting. And so, how did you find yourself in Indiana? Well, I found myself there as a <laughs> as an infant. Okay. Uh, so I didn't find myself at all. I just okay. was there. Sure. My my. Do you want my father's story? Um, yeah, go for it, yeah. Well, my father uh, raised on a farm and got one semester of college and then the, the tough times came and he didn't feel he could go on. He needed to be at, at the, the farm, so he left. And then he came to the farm and to raise some money, he cut hair in a little town nearby. And then he went to uh, Louisville to get a, a job and worked on the, the dam over the Ohio River and then went up to an office for another job and it turned out he went to the wrong office but they hired him anyway and it was a, a tariff company hmm. and uh, so he worked with them for a while and then he went with a school book company and sold school books in Illinois, Indiana and Kentucky he sold all of the equipment at the original Jordan Hall at Butler University. Wow. Uh, lived in Peoria, Illinois, until the Depression. And the Depression came along, and his company went bankrupt. And he needed a job, and he had gotten acquainted somehow or another with the founders of Mayflower Transit Company here wow. in Indianapolis. And they offered him a job here, helping them recruit agencies around the country. So that's when we moved to Indianapolis. Okay. And he and my mother uh, spent, I think, two years during the Depression living out of a car, going from wow. place to place around the country uh, to to get agents. 
and uh, and then he did, and he became the executive secretary for the Mayhar, Mayflower Warehousemen's Association. Uh, then went to Akron, Ohio, as the vice president of Cotter Van Lines, and Mr. Cotter decided not to retire after all, so he came back to Indianapolis, and we were—I was with him now at all of these times—and uh, and became the sales chief executive for Mayflower until he retired. Wow. No, not until he retired. He had a dispute with Mayflower over their ethics. Hmm. So he left and the agents, which loved him, all bought out his stock at some considerably more than its face value um, so that he could leave the company because he just would not give in to mm -hmm. what he thought was inappropriate behavior. And then he went with Wheaton Van Line and was with Wheaton until he retired. Interesting. So, that's, so that's, that, that's how we got into Indianapolis. Yeah, okay. And what was your mother doing at this time? My mother was a graduate of the University of Kentucky. She uh, majored in, in Romance Languages, was a Romance Language teacher oh, okay. until she married my dad in Kentucky and then uh, stayed with him and basically supported him in the travels. So there was no way she could work while they were traveling. Right. Uh, when she came back, she became a full-time mother here uh, for my sister and myself in Indianapolis and uh, was on all kinds of women's organizations and was an officer in a lot of them. Oh, okay. Just, wow. uh, I've always thought that my mother and my sister uh, both could have been executives in something, but, but for the fact that women couldn't do that right. at their, sure. during their periods of time. They're very bright, very able people. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. And you mentioned you had a sister. What's your sister's name? Nancy. Nancy Jane. Is she older or younger? She's uh, 19 months younger. Oh, okay. All right. So we grew up very close. Yeah. So how would you describe your childhood growing up? Amazingly free, uh, supported, and exposed to good values. Um, I, I, when I look at the world today and I see people who treat people badly and are so self-centered, I, I think the, the reason why we're different and think differently must have a lot to do with the way we were raised. Uh, it's a very loving, very secure, very safe environment. But also, uh, we were allowed a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we would... We would uh, go down the street or right. visit with people and our mother would just expect us home for lunch or home for supper yeah. and didn't worry a whole lot about it. And all the parents in the area looked out for the kids who were at their houses. Right, right. Um, which is very different, I think, than it is today. Uh, as a teenager, uh, prior to high school, as I guess late before preteen and teenage, um, I would get on my bike and ride a half mile away to a ballpark, mm -hmm. meet a bunch of other kids, and we'd toss a bat to decide who was going to be on what sides, and we'd have a baseball game. Yeah. Um, I don't know that anything happens like that now. And and we, we during the war, a friend and I used to build out of planks and blankets and whatever was available. Um, airplanes or PT boats or something mm -hmm. uh, to be 
like a part of what was going on, and uh, and that that stimulus to imagination and visionary kinds of thinking, I think, have a lot to do with who I became. Sure. Um, because I wasn't channeled in any direction. There was a huge opportunity to, to think up things and mm. make up our own play. Uh, yeah. Which I, which I again think is is yeah. lacking for a lot of young people growing up today. It's, it's, they're too um, regimented. They're, mm. they're, they're focused into. If, if they seem to like basketball, they're put into a basketball league. If they right. seem to like something else, they're put into that, or they're into a, a program at school for something after school. And, and and in high school, I think after school activities are extremely important. But sure, but. When you're younger, you need to explore yourself and your environment and your opportunities and and, and use your imagination. I, I'm not sure that our AI society yeah. um, is quite as open for that. Yeah, things yeah definitely evolved over time. Yeah. Okay, so who was the most influential people in your childhood? My parents. Your parents. Okay. And and. Uh, and and a couple of uncles. Mm -hmm. uh, all of my uncles were very important in my life, but I had two particularly. Uh, my mother's oldest brother, uh, and I, one of the, one of the, I remember a lot of things with him, but I don't remember specific conversations except one, and I remember this very clearly when he said to me, "Never do anything in private that you would be afraid for the whole world to know." Which I thought was really good, and has stayed with me. Yeah. Um, and another uncle uh, in Kentucky was kind of like a second dad in a, in a way, because I remember a lot, of, a lot of time with him. I campaigned with him in Kentucky when he ran for lieutenant governor. I another time he and I took a tour of uh, eastern and and southeastern Kentucky to see the capital and. Uh, and some of the Kentucky heritage and Berea College, and um, so they were very influential people yeah. as well, and teachers. I mean, I I I was enormously lucky. In I don't remember my teachers two years in Akron, Ohio, at all, but the teachers in Indianapolis I remember almost every year uh, vividly. They were they were just so stimulating and exciting and supportive. Uh, I, I'm really, really very, very lucky. Yeah, that's great. And I don't know that kids all have that today. Uh, same thing in high school. Just uh, yeah, interesting. Very, very supportive. Uh, in terms of uh, your family's background, did you have any sort of knowledge about your family's political beliefs as a child, or no, not uh, not particularly. My dad had been a Democrat because everybody in his part of uh, Kentucky was at the time, and then he became a Republican. I knew that. Well, I remember once uh, in, I guess it was 1940, uh, he and I walking to the bus together and talking about the Wilkie versus, I think it was 40, uh, Wilkie versus Roosevelt campaign and I remember he was a, a supporter of Wilkie mm. uh, and then I remember uh, reading uh, Wilkie's book One World 
not long thereafter, which, and I was fairly young when that was all going yeah. on. Uh, but I do remember that. So that's about the, that's okay. the only, but, but the thing that was most formative to me had nothing to do with friends or anything else. It had to do with the war. Sure, of course. I mean, I was, I remember the chair I was sitting in and exactly where I was listening to Roosevelt announce that the Japanese had attacked Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And I read in the paper all of the battles. I remember after the war wondering what in the world they'd write about in the newspaper sure. with the war over. Yeah, I bet. And seeing all of the people coming out of the concentration camps and, and being aware of the, of the dropping of the atomic bomb. And I had, for a couple of years thereafter, nightmares about the atomic bomb. Uh, so the war was enormously important, and right. we were all part of it. Yeah. My mother was a block captain. She checked during air raid drills to make sure all the lights were out, and mm. uh, wow. you know the, 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 that the block was uh, pinned down. And uh, we, as kids, we went around, went door to door, collecting uh, metal and paper and other stuff to contribute to the war effort. Yeah. So it's. We've not been like that since as a country. Sure. Everybody in this country was at war. Yeah. And the women were in the in the in the airplanes and in the factories and the men were over fighting and the kids were out doing what they could do. And it's uh and I remember I remember a young man across the street working out at, at home to get ready to take off to be a Marine and I remember both blue stars and gold stars in windows. Wow. Uh, those things are terribly formative, and and they they gave you a real outward view of the world and a concern for the world. Sure, definitely, yeah. Wow. Um, so moving on towards your education, what schools did you attend as a child and a teenager? Well, as a child, I went to to school eighty four, which is now a, mm -hmm. a center of inquiry. Uh, okay. Was an outstanding school. I went to the uh, the Rankin School for two years in in uh, in Akron. Mm, okay. Can't tell you much more about it than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the thing I remember most about it, about Akron was being in Cub Scouts there. Okay. Um, and then back in Indianapolis, came back to '84, and graduated from there and went to Broderpool, and then went uh, from Broderpool thought I would just probably go to IU. I had no idea that there were other options. And on college night, a friend of mine said, for the second hour, you don't have a place to go, come with me to the DePaul thing. So I went with, with him to the DePaul evening and ended up going to DePaul for mm, college okay. and IU Medical School and interned in Philadelphia and then came back for my residency in Indiana. Right. Okay. And uh, how would you describe your educational experiences overall? Excellent. Um, it, it was it, it was interesting to me. Uh, I did well at DePaul, but I I wasn't you know I figured that when I went to medical school, boy, that's where all of the really bright people would be. Right. I was I was surrounded by more inquisitive and intelligent people at DePaul than I was in medical school. Interesting. Um, in fact, I carried a couple young men through the first year of medical school. Yeah. Um, so I, that was a little disappointing to me. Um, sure. But but that that didn't decrease my interest in in medicine. And the, and the reason I went into medicine 
was because I took a, a test when I was at DePaul saying, what should I be? And it said you should be a, a doctor, a lawyer, or a preacher. Oh, wow. And uh, I had gone as a pre-theo. Mm -hmm. But uh, I figured, well, it's a lot easier to get out of medicine and into one of those others than it is to get out of one of those others and into medicine. So, yeah. so I'll start in medicine. Okay. And I just never, never got out. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. And did you have any uh, extracurricular activities, uh, either in high school or college, that you took part in? Um, my main extracurricular activity has always been vocal. I, I'm a singer. Okay. And wow. uh, and I started singing in grade school. Uh, actually, got invited to come down to a couple couple luncheon clubs and sing for wow. for men. And went to went to Broderpool and became a part of the Relite uh, choral group my freshman year. Uh, was in all of the student and and formal productions. Vocally joined the Thespians. Was a founding member of the Thespian Club. Um, when I was a freshman, I played baseball. As a sophomore. I went out for practice, and he said we were going to have practice through spring vacation. I said, "The hell with that." Yeah. <laughs> so I so I dropped sports at that yeah. point. Uh, but my junior year, I decided to go out for basketball. Oh, okay. Well, the, the baseball coach was the basketball. Oh no! Coach. <laughs> so I I didn't last but about a week. Yeah, I'm sure in, that's, in, that's in right. basketball, and uh, and then my junior year, I also went out for football and. Uh, Played reserve football, and then my senior year, uh, starting that late, my football coach at the end of summer practice came to me and he said, "You can stay on the team if you want to, but I can't guarantee you'll get a letter." Uh, and I said, "Well, I'll stay." And the choral people said, "You can play football, or you can have a lead in the operetta, but you can't do both." Ooh. So I went into the chorus yeah. of, the, of the operetta. And uh, and then playful and did get my letter in uh, in football. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, so those those are primarily my extra. Yeah. Well, I was I was also on the, the the oratorical society. So we gave speeches around the uh, okay the speak, speaking contests. Right. Uh, and uh, I also went to Culver Academy in the summers, for three summers, and I graduated there as the commander of the Naval Battalion. Wow. And uh, sang in the choir at Culver and ran track at, at Culver. Um, and, and it was on the rowing team, and I boxed. Wow, okay. And I, I, I boxed until a fight when I my mouthpiece fell out, and I looked down at the canvas for my mouthpiece and I got hit on the side of the head so hard while I was looking down that I said, I don't want to do this anymore. So, yeah. I did, so I, that was the end of my boxing uh, career. But th that's, that's my athletic history. Interesting. Except in the, in the service uh, in Korea, I did play with an officer's basketball team. And we won the, the core championship. Uh, I averaged 14 points a game. And it had a high game of 26. Wow. Um, so I, that proved to me I could have I could have played basketball. Yeah, there you uh, go. But, so anyway, that's 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 my athletic career. Yeah, that's 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 pretty impressive. Okay, neat. 
And uh, so during your academic career, did you have any favorite subjects in school? I really liked philosophy. Philosophy, okay. I, I had basically a minor in philosophy. I majored in pre-medical science, but oh, okay. but I had a, a minor in and, and, and somewhat in government, but more in philosophy. Mm-hmm. When I was young, and since this is government related, there was a there were a set of records, two sets of records called "I Can Hear It Now" by Frederick, uh, by Edward R. Murrow, and they were uh, sounds and, and and people's quotes through the from 1941 to whatever the the last year was that they did it, um, and I can still I, I listen to those a lot, and. And, and I think that's what stimulated my interest in government. Um, and I can still quote Mayor LaGuardia or mm-hmm. Winston Churchill or a number of people yeah. from those records, okay. just listening to the speeches that they gave, and I can still give those speeches. Um, so when I was in high school, I can't remember what the class was, but we had to write a theme, and I told the, the, the teacher I was going to write on a constitutional history of the United States, mm. And she said, that's a bit broad. <laughs> Why don't you write on something a little more focused? So I wrote on Winston Churchill. Okay. So, Interesting. So, I, so I have, I've had an interest in government all of that time. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. Wow. And um, so when you grew up in Indiana, did you have any views about the state of Indiana or what it was like to be a Hoosier or anything like that? Did you have any opinions about that? Not particularly. I would, you know, um, I, I was basically a Kentucky boy in Indiana, okay. and, I, and I and I knew that. I mean, all of my family was still down in Kentucky, sure. and um, so you know, the the saying at that time was that a Hoosier is just a Kentucky with shoes on. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so I no, I had it. Other than that. Well, that, the slogan in Indianapolis at that time was yeah. the largest city in the country, not on a navigable body of water. Sure, sure. And I, and I did pay attention to that okay. for some reason. All right, well, okay, latched onto something there then. Um, <clears throat> do, so, in what ways did your awareness of politics change as you got older? Well, as, as I said, I had that interest um, from high school on. Right. And and going into the law was one of the options that I sure. considered in in college. Um, when I was in medical school, I did nothing but medicine. I okay. was I had yeah. 24 hours a day. I yeah. studied and and the same thing through through my uh, internship and residency. But in, during my internship, I developed more interest, and uh, that was the time of William Buckley. Mm-hmm. And the National Review, and I and I started following those. Yeah. Um, I and, and I I interned in Philadelphia, but I dated a girl in New York City, mm-hmm. whose okay. father was the United States delegate to the United Nations. Oh, wow! And she and I were part of the group that founded the Conservative Party of New York. Wow! Um, strictly through her. Yeah. Del Judd, Walter Judd was her father. And so, so I had an interest there, and then when I came back to Indianapolis, um, after, I guess it was after the uh, service, I didn't know anybody in Indianapolis after, from, after being away, and 
uh, so I did, I joined the, the ski club, the junior chamber of commerce, um, a couple others, but one of them was the Young Republicans. Mm, okay. And I was disappointed in the Young Republicans because mm. they were strictly a social club. Okay. They were not interested in, um, in issues or trying to, to address what was going on. They just, they just got together and drank, and I thought, well, that's a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but about that time, we're getting off into politics now a little bit, but about that time, uh, Goldwater was running for president. Right. And Ronald Reagan gave his City on a Hill speech, which I listened to, and I was terribly impressed with. And so I put together a, a, a card and I sent to a couple hundred postcards to all my Christmas list, urging them to listen to the next time Reagan was going to give that speech and gave him the time and the, the oh, wow. what have you. And then I took my cards and I went door to door in my apartment project where I had moved because that was the place they told mm -hmm. me all the young people lived. Um, and handing out cards to people and urging them to watch the speech. Interesting. Uh, and, and one of the places that I called on was, was the apartment of Jim Blythe, there's an attorney here in town, uh, but he was freshly married and living in the Jamestown apartments where I was. And he said, why don't you join the Republicans for action? Hmm. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, we're trying to take over the Republican Party in Marion County because we don't think they've been living up to what they could be. And I said, well, you don't want to do that. Let's not fight with one mm -hmm. another. Let's, let's just win an election. And he said, well, come down to a meeting with me and, uh, and, and let us see if we can't convince you that what we're doing is a good thing. So I went to a Young Republicans for Action Committee meeting. Interesting. And to make a long story short, ended up being the, the <laughs> vice president of wow. Young Republicans for Action for Marion County. And our, one of our jobs was we had two jobs. One was to form, I formed a Republican, Young Republican Club at the IU Medical Center and drafted people there to be part of that club. And then that club's job uh, was to go out and recruit precinct committeemen hmm. or at least identify every committeeman and whether or not they were going to support the, young, the Republican Action Committee in the primary. And if they weren't, we said, we're going to run somebody against you, yeah. uh, which we did. And so we had to find the people to run against them. And the answer is we, the Republican Action Committee, won the vast majority of committee positions around the county. And in the process of all of that, Bert Servas, who was the head of the city council, um, came to me and said, why don't you run for office? And I said, well, I can't. I don't have time. And I don't have any money. And he said, well, if you can find some time, we'll take care of the money. So I agreed to become a candidate for the legislature, and our slate got nominated, and then we got elected. So wow. that's how it all happened. Okay, interesting. So you really were pretty involved before you became officially part of the General Assembly. Um, quite, a, quite a background then, and working with a party that... Uh, well, it was all in about a, about a year. Yeah, but it's, a, it's a fair amount you were doing, though, in that year. Yeah. It seems like that's, that's amazing. Wow. Um, so I guess my next question is then, you said that bef you were doing your residency in Philadelphia? No, my internship. Oh, your internship. Just the one okay. year. Yeah. Okay. So 
were you sure at that point that you were coming back to Indianapolis then? Or did you ever have no, thoughts of... No, no. Um, actually, uh, I went to New York and I auditioned for the Fantastics. Wow. Um, a, a very good friend from Indianapolis was the narrator in the Fantastics. Okay. Uh, he was the second narrator. And he was leaving to go with the road cast of 110 in the Shade. And so they needed a new narrator, and he got me an audition. And the the day, or day, or maybe two days after the audition, I got shipped up by the army to yeah. uh, the Canadian border to take care of summer soldiers, which meant okay. there was no possibility of doing yeah. that role. Um, but I gave a lot of thought at that time to staying in New York and doing music yeah because I I loved to sing yeah and, and I sung opera and Broadway and uh, and then I said no there've got to be at least 80 people in New York with the same talent the same opportunities same everything that I've got I hate those odds mm. you know so yeah. I so I said no I'll go back to Indiana and interesting internal medicine okay Wow um, <clears throat> and as you, when you came back to Indianapolis and you're getting involved in politics there, uh, how did your politics align with your families? Did it alter a bit, or was it pretty much the same? Or, oh, I think pretty much the same. Okay. Um, to use the word Republican in today's world would not apply to us. Right. Uh, we we believed in free markets. We believed in opportunity for everybody. Uh, we believed that government had a role to play. It was just appropriate to get the balance between sure. the government involvement in it or government staying out of it. And uh, really what you would call today a moderate, I guess, or a middle yeah. of the road. Uh, we were, I think, socially very liberal and economically very conservative. Yeah. And that was pretty much the same throughout our family. Yeah, okay. Um, let's see here. But don't call me a Republican today. Yeah, no, I, okay, yeah, no problem. When John Ruckel's house considered running for Congress, I sent him a note and I said, I'm not sending another Republican to Washington. Yeah. I'll support you if you want to stay in Indiana because you're valuable here. Yeah. But you're going to run for, for Congress, I'll be working against you. Wow, okay. Interesting. Um, so, talking about your immediate family now, uh, when, if at, all, if at all, did you get married? Oh, not until... I came close a couple times, but, but not until uh, 1968. In, 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 in May of 1967, the girl I was dating and had been dating for a good while um, needed a roommate. Hmm. And... A mutual friend told her about a guy, a gal who needed a, a pl an apartment to stay, who just moved back to Indianapolis from uh, Terre Haute, where she'd been teaching, to go to IUPUI Law School. Yeah, and that was the person that's now my wife, and uh, and that just happened until August. In August, she called me on the phone and said, "I understand your dad is in the moving business," and I said, "Yes," and she said, "Well, I'm moving." to California, can you help me get moved? And I said, anything we can do to get a good-looking gal out of town, I certainly want to help. And uh, why don't we have lunch and talk about it? So yeah. 
So we, uh, we, we met on the far south side because too many people knew me and they knew the gal I was dating uh, and had lunch and talked about it and that was it. Mm-hmm. And she took off and went to California and I went back to dating the gal I'd been dating all the time. Okay. Um, but Harry Gonzo and John Eisenbarger decided to take IU to the Rose Bowl. And as a legislator, I got four tickets to the Rose Bowl if I wanted them. So, yeah. so I called her and I said, I have these four tickets. You want to go to the Rose Bowl? And I, have, I had a friend in Seattle who I invited to come down and join us. And she said, yeah, do you need a place to stay? And I said, uh, yeah. And she said, well, you can stay at my place. And yeah. I've got a couch. And yeah. So I stayed with her and uh, we went to the Rose Bowl. Had a very nice weekend. And came time to go back. And the airplane said, we're full. Uh, we need somebody to volunteer yeah. to take a later flight. So I said, I will. <laughs> so I stayed another day, called my office, said, cancel all my patients for Monday. I'll be back a day late. And, uh, and we then communicated uh, regularly and uh, on the phone. And I invited her to meet me in Florida to see my parents over her spring vacation, mm-hmm. which she did. And we were married in August. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. And 52 years ago. Quite a story. Wow. And what's your wife's name? Martha. Martha. Okay. Interesting. And do you have any children? Yes. I have a boy and a girl. Um, the girl was first. She's, uh, I don't, I'm not going to give ages, I guess, but mm-hmm. uh, she was doing extremely well at Hewlett Packard, had a, a national responsibility, met a guy at Hewlett Packard. Okay. And, uh, and married him and then got pregnant and took a, they gave her a year's sabbatical wow. for her pregnancy. And at the end of the year, they said, when are you coming back? She said, I'm not coming back. So she's, <laughs> she's been a full-time mother. Now her kids are about to empty nest her and she's uh, okay. looking for work opportunities. Yeah. My son uh, was a couple years later and he's now a, he had a really interesting career. He, he, uh, he went to, went to Princeton, went to Park Tudor, and then went to Princeton and came back here and was a, a uh, an advanced person for Steve Goldsmith when Steve was running for mm, governor and uh, and then decided to go to law school and went to Northwestern Law School. Um, Got, came back and got a job with Baker and Daniels uh, and didn't enjoy advocating for people who uh, he thought were wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and, that, and our system does that. You know, okay. it, no matter how bad you are, you're entitled to full sure. representation. And he just he didn't, was not comfortable with that. Yeah. So he started auditing a class in ethics at, at, uh, at uh, Butler or maybe IUPUI. I can't remember which. Uh, and liked it so well that he decided to get a master's in biomedical ethics mm, wow. at the University of Minnesota. So he, uh, by that time he had a family, but they sold their house, moved into a little rental, and he commuted for two years to Minneapolis wow. every week, up and back, until he got a master's in biomedical ethics. Then he uh, applied for and got a clerkship with a federal judge in Portland, Oregon. Did that for a year, but loved it. 
came back and decided he didn't want to go back to practice. So he got a fellowship at Stanford in, uh, in biomedical ethics and did that for a year or two and is now a, a tenured professor of law at the University of Tulsa. Wow, okay, that's, yeah, pretty successful family there, man. Yeah, they're, that's great. They're, they're good kids. And what are your kids' names? Matthew is uh, the boy and mm -hmm. Melinda, okay. who goes by Mandy. And that's because I didn't know that Mandy is not short for Melinda, it's short for Amanda, but I didn't know any better. <laughs> and so when she was born, somehow or another in my head, the Mandy, there's a limit, uh, Minister yeah. Handy, the song yeah, okay. came, to, came to me while I was in the hall at the hospital. So I said, well, let's call her Mandy. Yeah. And then we needed a full name. So we said, right. we picked Melinda. That's yeah. out of pure ignorance because <laughs> we wanted to call her Mandy. So she's, she's Melinda, yeah. but uh, we call her Mandy. Okay, well, whatever works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does work. <laughs> and uh, how did your family influence your career? Uh, and maybe did they have any influence on your well, politics I, or? Um, well, I think I knew my dad was was a reformed Democrat, uh, Republican. Right. Um, as I mentioned, the, the Wilkie thing, but not a lot. I don't remember a lot of discussion of politics, but my mother was very civically involved. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a court watcher. Uh, it, it went to visit and watch the, the court proceedings so that they could take positions. Uh, she was in a lot of women's organizations. She was sure. uh, and, and an officer in a number of those. So, so external orientation right. uh, came, I think, very much from my mother. Okay. And did your career at all have an impact on your children, or uh, was it hard to have that You'd have balance? To ask, you'd have, have to, to ask them. Yeah. You'd have to ask them. <laughs> That's I, fair. Yeah. It did not take me away from them. Yeah. I. I I coached both of them, uh, oh, okay. my daughter in softball and my son in softball and basketball, uh, went to all of their performances yeah. for everything. So I don't think, I don't think I shorted them, whether I gave them as much time and direction sure. as I should have, I'll never know. Yeah. I've always said I may not have been the best parent in the world, but yeah. by George, they, they're great kids. Yeah. So we must have yeah. done something right. Yeah. It seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, let's see. So, as you initially became involved in politics, what were the key issues or legislation that you championed or fought against? Well, the the uh, there wasn't a specific legislative motivation for getting active in politics, mm -hmm. and I didn't start with any specific legislative goals. Yeah. But after our first session, uh, we started meeting to discuss issues affecting Marion County. Yeah. Uh, and we decided that we needed two things. Number one is we needed a state university, and number two is we needed to reorganize government for Marion County. Right. And so that's, we had a series of meetings, and that's when we formed UNIGOV. And, sure. And, passed that the next year uh, yeah. and got Lou Grant as the new mayor and reorganized the council. Right. Just, uh, it, 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 was, it was an important thing to do. The, the, the Democrats that preceded us in 65 had tried to give the mayor responsibility for units that had countywide jurisdiction, but they didn't provide uh, any, any uh, voting 
privileges to mm -hmm. the people who were then going to be contributing to and under the jurisdiction of those agencies that were going to, that were countywide agencies, but but run by the mayor whom they didn't elect. Interesting. And so we said that's not the right approach, you know. So we we decided that it needed to be we needed to expand the mayor, but we needed to provide representative government throughout the the area and consolidate some of the, the agencies to the extent that we could. We didn't do anything about schools as much as we recognized a problem with schools because we could not have passed the bill if we had put schools in it. Right. Um, we had some opposition from some of the conservative, the far right people. I, I got threats on the phone. Mm. Uh, so there, there wasn't unanimous support for it, but, but our precinct organization was was totally supportive, and the mayor, turns out, was a really good mayor and uh, took care of what people were interested in. In the bill, uh, there were two parts of the bill that I, that I was interested and concerned with. One was uh, one of our senators had been persuaded that we had to put a restriction in the bill to limit uh, the borders of the new UNIGOV to the county line and not and not allow annexation outside of the county line. Mm. This is the only city in the state of Indiana that is so restricted. Yeah, uh, and that has proved to be a, a disaster. I opposed it at the time. Uh, I was the delegation was convinced that uh, by the senator that if they didn't put that in, we wouldn't get any votes from the Republicans in the surrounding counties, and. So we put it in, and we didn't get any votes from any of the Republicans in any of the surrounding counties, mm -hmm. despite that. Wow. So it, 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 it still sticks in my craw yeah. badly, badly. Because yeah. if you look at what's happened now, uh, the problems that we were trying to address of an urban core uh, and, and suburb, suburbs that took advantage of the urban core but had nothing to do with it, that's that's happening all over again. Mm -hmm. You know that all of the the Avons and Brownsburgs and Fishers and Zionsvilles and what have you uh, would not be what they are without the city of Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And yet they they contribute nothing to the city of Indianapolis. They they come yeah. in they come in and work, but they they don't pay for the streets they they ride on into work. Uh, they contribute nothing to the to the budget. And you got to remember that that. City, cities or local government generally is terribly dependent primarily on the property tax. When right. the property tax is frozen, which limits your ability to, to add services, and at the same time in Marion County we have enormous uh, amounts of property that's tax exempt. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the, the hospitals or the government or agencies or the rest of it, yeah. uh, off of which we get nothing. So. What's left after you subtract all of the property that's not up to, not taxable has to support everything that's going on, including all the roads that people are using to come in from the surrounding counties. Yeah. So it's that's been a that's been a problem uh, that I think we could have avoided and we didn't, and that mm -hmm. that sticks in my craw. Uh, the other one is that that I thought if we were going to expand the government to a broader area, we needed to provide true local options to low, smaller communities within the area, which we did a little bit because we, we had what we call included and excluded towns in, yeah. in the Unigov bill. And the included towns are places like Williams Creek. 
where they can have their own little constable if they want. Uh, and, and, and there are things that they can do locally. Um, and then there are excluded towns which have mayors and city councils and were responsible for their streets like Speedway and Lawrence and Beach Grove. Um, so there was some local stuff, but I, I, my approach was to what I called mini-gov, mm -hmm. which allowed local areas, uh, neighborhoods if you will, to organize. Part of the problem was that you'd have a city council meeting or a progress committee meeting and these people would come in and say, I represent all these people on the south side. Nobody ever elected them, you mm -hmm. know. They just right. decided to be the leader of all these people who may or may not agree with them, yeah. but they never, nevertheless represented themselves mm -hmm. in that way. And I said, no, we ought to formalize that process so, we ought, so that, that these, there's a way that these smaller areas can organize and have an election process and give them some local authority. Mm -hmm. So if, if Mrs. So-and-so is teaching piano lessons she can reserve parking areas outside of her house. Right. Or if so-and-so is, is blind, uh, there are certain things that we can allow the local community to do to make life better for that person. But, and we passed that, finally, mm -hmm. and I don't think that's in there, uh, in your list. Um, but, but the party convinced me to put a provision in it that would have to be activated by, by a motion of the city county council. Mm and the city county council never implemented it. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, which, which I thought was, was dumb on their part. I said, if I were a city councilman and you gave me this, I'd never be defeated again. You know, I'd work with those people so closely mm -hmm. that, that there would be no question about who their, who their yeah. representative was on the sure. council, but, uh, but they didn't do it. Interesting. So those were the two parts of Unigov that, that, I, that I accepted. But I, the rest of it I was totally for, yeah. and I carried it in the house. Okay, so it sounds like the connection between uh, Minigov and Unigov and, and the parts of it that you were really pushing for was just to sort of help balance it out. Right. Um, so you weren't leaving out uh, a certain aspect that could cause other issues later. It was, it was the two issues that I thought were, were missing. Yeah. Well, in addition to the schools, and clearly schools were a big issue, and we've yeah. been criticized a lot for not handling the schools. Right. There is no way we could have passed that bill. Mm -hmm. Zero opportunity to pass the bill if we had touched schools. Sure. So you do what you can do. That's part of, that's part of the political process. You yes. Know? Yeah. It, politics is the art of the possible. Right. It's not the art of the of the ideal. It can't be. And, <laughs> yeah. And that's part of our, our Washington politics today. Is that yeah. We're we're a divided country because there are people who have an, their own ideal. Right. And they don't like the other person's ideal, and they won't. Talk yeah. to each other about what can we do that satisfies both of us. Sure. And so, uh, because you were so involved in government, it has to be really useful for people eventually listening to this. Uh, who are the main proponents of Unigov, and who are the main sort of opponents of, of Unigov? Well, the main proponents were the, the Republicans who mm -hmm. had organized countywide uh -huh. and and wanted to create a better form of government. And, yeah. and Dick Luger was our leader. Uh, mm -hmm. Bert Servas at the council was also a leader. John Burkhart was a tremendous supporter. Mm -hmm. He was the head of College Life Insurance Company, founder and, and president of College Life Insurance. Um, and we had our meetings at his house to, yeah. to develop this program. There's actually a play being That's right, I, being I heard about that. Right yeah. now about all of that. Um, so those were the main proponents. 
and we and we we got other people to endorse it. I can't tell you now who all the people were that right. that actually endorsed sure. uh, Unigov. Uh, the opponents were number one the Democrats because they saw this as as making it harder and harder to elect a mayor, mm -hmm. which is in fact the case. You know, yeah. I, I can't argue that 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 it did make it harder for them. Uh, during a, a we had a, a big public hearing one night in the House chamber. And I ran into Jim Beatty, who was the Democrat chairman at that time. And I said, Jim, you know, we, we really need to do this. And he said, I know, but we're just going to make you bleed all we can in the process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was that opposition. And then there, then there, were, there were a few people who called it uh, government, unnecessary government interference in the world and, and saw it as the far right people who seeing everything as a conspiracy to do them in. Mm -hmm. And there were some of those people um, within the Republican Party. So it was the Democrats in a formal kind of way. Right. But I got, I'm not sure, I don't remember whether we got any Democrat votes or not, but the two people who came back to congratulate me after we passed it, the first two people who came back were Democrats. Interesting. Um, because it was good government. I mean, that's all we were interested in was doing doing what we thought was good government. It did have a political implication. I can't argue that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, the Democrats are back now. They were in the city, so it's sure it works just fine in the long run. And so, how would you describe your your main role in Unigov? Do you were you someone that was uh, really big in, in formulating the idea, or were you more just trying to no? I was active, help. I was active. Make with, sure it's right. I was active from the origin on. Okay, okay, interesting. Um. <clears throat> And I guess, uh, just to clarify, since uh, since not everyone's going to be necessarily familiar with all the aspects of Unigov and its complexities, uh, could you just break down the, the most important aspects as to why Unigov was necessary? Well, because you had people who were, uh, you, you had a government that didn't function. There was the, the League of Women Voters had issued a, a, book, a little booklet, mm -hmm. a pamphlet, uh, preceding the time that we were even elected, mm -hmm. and the title of the of their pamphlet was "Who's in Charge Here?" Right, and the answer was nobody. We had uh, unaccountable boards running these various uh, components of government, and the boards were put together by appointment. One one person making an appointment might be the circuit court judge. Somebody else might be the city council. Somebody else might be the mayors, or mm -hmm. other people. And there was there, there was no accountability for any of these organizations, and yet they had taxing authority mm -hmm. and administrative authority over the entire yeah. county. And the mayor had no no say. I mean, we elected the mayor, but he had no say over any of those organizations. They were always all independent of his activity. Sure. So we said that's that's structurally inappropriate, and yeah. it just doesn't work. And it didn't work. And so we tried to put it into some sort of a functional. Uh, relationship with a representative body mm -hmm. um, that was that was elected from the, from the general population, and the mayor was elected countywide, so everybody got a vote. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. It, it was it was it was simply to, it was really a good government motivation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and uh, and the University of Indianapolis, which we tried very hard to create, was also. Uh, a goal for the city that sure. Luger's position was you can't have a great city without a great university. 
and uh, and we got co-opted by that. Mm. Um, we uh, we wanted to create a, a university in Indianapolis where IUPUI is now. Uh, ended up uh, not being able to get that done, so we ended up with IUPUI, which we which we did do. Mm-hmm. Uh, wanted to call it the University of Indianapolis, but uh, the president of of the University of, in, of the Indiana Central University, which is now the University of Indianapolis, had uh, had gone a couple of years earlier into the county clerk's office, the, the state clerk, state, I guess, secretary of state's office, and said, what does it cost to reserve a name? Mm-hmm. And she said, $5. He said, fine, here's $10. I want the University of Indianapolis and Indianapolis University. <laughs> so he, he had them both in his pocket. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that. Wow. And then at some point, he announced that Indiana Central was going to become the University of Indianapolis. We had gotten IUPUI put together, mm-hmm. but we lost the University of Indianapolis. Oh, but right. IUPUI in its own right now is a, is a recognized and successful university. It's yeah. bigger than the University of Washington, the University of Kentucky, a number of mm-hmm. major universities around the country sure. are smaller than IUPUI is. Yeah. And some of their graduate schools are very well recognized. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 been it's been a boon for the city, I think, to have that institution. Isn't quite what we had envisioned, but it, yeah, it's, it's still positive. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And um, in terms of the legacy of Unigov, what would you say are the biggest successes of Unigov that can be seen today in the modern context? Oh, I think all of the development that's mm-hmm. that's occurred. The the investment, it, it, and I have no idea what the dollar investment has been since 1967 sure. in central Indianapolis, but it's it's enormous. I mean, uh, as somebody said back at the time, it, after 8 o'clock at night, you could shoot a rifle down Washington Street and never hit anything. You know, <laughs> it's just, it, it, the city was dead at night. Yeah. And now we've got major sports yeah. and, 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 uh, and entertainment mm-hmm. facilities and restaurants and uh, businesses have located there you know, things uh, major corporations are now represented Cummins yeah. decided to move up to Indianapolis even though they still say their their headquarters is in Columbus <laughs> it isn't it's up here um, so things like that have, have all yeah. of that has happened and, it, and I don't think it would have happened yeah had it not been for Unigo yeah wow that's really interesting um, Let's see, going back to, you're jumping around a little bit, going back to the beginning of your political career, um, when you first started running uh, to be part of the General Assembly, what was your, what did your campaign emphasize most? I don't remember. Uh, I think my area was, was uh, public safety. Mm-hmm. We, as a, we, at that time, there were 11 of us in the House that ran yeah. as a group. And I can't remember the exact number. I think eight senators ran as a group at large from sure. from Marion County, and so we divided ourselves, Senate and House together. We were all part of the same group, into study committees uh, and issue oriented committees. And each committee had an area that it was to look at. And I think mine was, as I recall, public safety and public health. And so that was my main thrust when I went and. Mm-hmm. One of the things which I passed and uh, and was later de- re- later rescinded uh, was vehicle inspection mm-hmm. because 
we had a lot of people who were dying on the highways, and I thought, right. well, is it something we can do to reduce that? Yeah. Making sure that the cars are safe that they're driving in. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it, it, it functioned for about two years, and then some senator came in and, and repealed it. Oh, okay. And he was right, okay. you know, particularly because uh, since that time, and not very long after that, the, the quality of vehicles on the road has increased enormously. Right. Uh, from a from a safety standpoint, from all of all of the, mm. the the cars don't break down the way they did. I mean, yeah. you, know, you don't see people with burned out headlights nearly as often as you used to, yeah. or rattling down the, the street. It's just it's it's changed. Sure. So that 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 would be totally unnecessary in today's world. But yeah. but at the time we thought it was. And I had I can't remember other legislation, but I had two or three bills that dealt with yeah with health and or safety. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In terms of uh, uh, the restrictions on drivers, I, I did read a little bit about that and it was restrictions on drivers for minors, I guess trying to prevent accidents among young people. Was that the idea? Is this that I introduced that didn't pass? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it, 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 as you know, the, uh, the, the the juvenile brain does not mature until about age 27. Mm -hmm. And we were giving people full-fledged licenses at 16. Okay. Which yeah. didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. So I yeah. said it ought to be probationary until 21. Right. Not 27, but until till 21, right. uh, the license ought to be probationary, in which case the, the penalty for mm -hmm. doing the wrong stuff would have cost them loss of license. Right. Uh, I didn't pass that. Okay. Uh, but that was one of them. And then, uh, then I, another one that I suggested at the time was that people over the age of 80 ought to have to take another driving st driver's test. Yeah. I didn't pass that one either. <laughs> and now that I'm 85, I, uh, I, I don't think I, I'm very, very wild about that one. <laughs> well, things change, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so when you were a rookie politician, did you have any national political heroes or local state political heroes? People that you well, I liked to? Reagan. Okay. Um, I guess he was as much of a, of a hero as, as anybody. Mm -hmm. I was I was pretty conservative at the time. I, I was uh, I wasn't a member but I was interested in the Young Americans for Freedom. Mm -hmm. um, the National Young Republican Organization, right? And uh, so, and and I and I liked Bill Buckley. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I listened a lot to, to and, and I, you know, I I remember Kennedy. I liked Kennedy a lot. Yeah. And even though he was of the political, a different political party, when I was an intern in, in uh, Philadelphia, it was when he defeated Nixon, and I remember being a Nixon supporter mm -hmm. and staying up at the apartment of the girl I was dating at that time until like four in the morning waiting to find out who won yeah. the darn election. Wow. But but watching him over his career, I was I was really very impressed with him and his dedication to, to uh, the country and yeah. what, what it could be. And I would probably have voted for Bobby had he survived 68. Uh, so I wasn't strictly just right. And I, 
I was more interested in, in what people wanted to do, sure. how they wanted to do it, than yeah. I was in the party. The party was, and it's even less important to me now. I, yeah. I really resent what's happened in the country in terms mm -hmm. of total party polarization. Party should not be first. Government should be first. Right. And party is just a tool to helping good people get elected. Yeah. Well, if the parties aren't making an effort to recruit good people and supporting them in a broad sense to make good judgments, mm -hmm. then there's something wrong with the parties. And I, I have major problems with both political parties right now. Yeah. I, I tried in the last presidential election very hard to get the Libertarian Party into the debates mm. because I didn't I don't agree with a lot of a lot of what they believe but I just yeah. believe that another voice is important in the discussion and I, I I wrote a lot of people about it one of them was Mitch Daniels who was on the debate commission mm -hmm. and he said he would try to do that himself but yeah. he, he was unsuccessful uh, in adding them to the debate the country is not well served unless it hears more voices. Sure. <clears throat> and people in both parties say, well, if you run X, Y, Z, you'll subtract from this party. Right. You know, so then you'll get it to the other party. Yeah. Well, there is some of that, but it's it's high time we start allowing more voices to be heard mm -hmm. and more visions to be considered. Yeah. Uh, we're really, really polarized and very narrow in our thinking right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in the middle of a project, I don't really know about this or not, but no. or even care about it. Well, that'd be interesting. But yeah, I sure. recruited about 130 people to help me write a series of papers on major issues facing the country. We got interesting. 21 topic areas. And uh, we're about two-thirds of the way through. It's been going on almost two years. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so we, we, I subscribe to a lot of the foundations and think tanks Mm -hmm. And as they come out with papers in some different areas, I yeah. take those and I extract them and I file them, and then, we, then, I'm, then we're writing papers on, oh, okay. on those different different areas. Um, and one of which is is government and elections, and there is a lot that needs to be changed if we're going to get to the place where where we're truly represented. My my son is really concerned mm -hmm. about the Senate, with mm -hmm. having two senators from each Senate mm -hmm. from each state. And he said that 70% of the people are going to be living in 15 states, which means the other, uh, however, 15 from 51, what is that, 26 states, mm -hmm. are going to only have 30% of the people, but they'll have 60% uh, of the Senate. Yeah. And that really bothers him. And I understand that. The mm -hmm. problem is that the founders, one of their major points, and, and a lot of compromises in the founding, as you're well aware, um, but one of their major talking points was protecting the minority from the tyranny of the majority. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's Edmund Burke. You know, mm -hmm. Edmund Burke said, uh, it's, it's no more right for the majority to force its will on the minority than it is for the minority had they the votes to force their will on the majority. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a lot that needs to be changed. Money has got too big, big I mean, there, there's a lot across sure. that. But, but that's what we're trying to do, is to try to look at all these issues and say, there are arguments on a lot of these sides. How do we come to consensus? And, the, and right. the goal with this, whether it's a book or a series of papers or whatever, I don't care. The goal is to have a series of town halls across the country on these subjects using 
this material as mm -hmm. a platform. Yeah. You know, people can do some reading ahead advice. People on the, on the stage can read it ahead. The people in, who are going to come and listen or watch on television uh, will have the material to read and think about ahead of time. Right. And to have a national dialogue that's a real dialogue. Yeah. We don't have it now. We just we just throw throw rocks at each other. And, sure. Uh, so that's the goal, and that's, that's yeah. That's what I'm working yeah, on. That's, that's pretty noble. So it sounds like you're really trying to heal the divide as much well, as you I'm can. Well, I'm trying. Yeah. Uh, you know, I God knows. You know, they there's a, a group called the Stanley K. Lacey Leadership Group. Do you know mm -hmm. anything about that? No. No. It's a they select people from various businesses around the the uh, city, young rising people in those companies, mm -hmm. to come together. And there's a a year long program where they are. They hear from various speakers about various issues confronting the community and opportunities and what have you, and they have a then they then they go back to whatever they're doing, but they right. they become oriented to their community and more able to mm -hmm. be a, participating and, and bring their companies into participation sure. in, the, in the community. And uh, a group of us, you know anything about the city committee? A, a little bit. Well, we, the city committee was formed. I don't know, 70s sometime, mm -hmm. and and we were a group of people who, who were, it was never formal, we had no constitution, bylaws, or anything else, mm -hmm. we did not elect any officers, uh, we just met together on a regular basis to see what we could be doing about certain issues. We went around to leaders in the community, uh, business people and others, and ask them and poll them. What what are the things that bother you most? Mm -hmm. What are the, the opportunities you see that we're not we're not addressing appropriately? Right. And then we came back together and we, we put together things to try to accomplish all of that. Sure. Um, so anyway, the, the some of us from the city committee were asked to address the leadership alumni from this Stanley K leadership thing mm -hmm. at one of their get-togethers. And at the close of that. Um, the moderator said, okay, are there any last things that any of you would like to say before we adjourn? Mm -hmm. Make one last statement. So they went down the line and we came, I was the last one. And my comment was, dream no small dreams, make no small plans. Sure. And and I, if I'm going to say that, I think I have to do that. Yeah, definitely. So that's what I'm doing now. I may not live long enough. Mm. God knows I'm, you know, most of a lot of my friends are dead or dying, mm. uh, but but that's the goal. And I've talked to uh, Brian Payne at the, at the uh, Indianapolis Foundation, uh, and he thinks that there are 49 community foundations that would be willing to sponsor a town hall. Right. And I talked to the people at, I, at uh, public television here, WFYI, and I said. I think PBS ought to broadcast these things if we have them. Mm -hmm. And he said, I think that's a possibility. You know, let, let us see what you've got when you get a little closer to yeah. it. So Interesting. that's the goal. I want, I want the country to start thinking and talking rationally instead yeah. of emotionally. Sure. And yeah, no, that's that noble goal. It's uh, certainly pretty stressful times for a lot of people. It is. It's, uh, I think I may have bit putting off too much but you know I've got sometimes I have an article that'll come from one of these places mm -hmm. it'll take me three days to work through the article and get it down to something I can use right 
well, I got hundreds of articles. Yeah. You know, so sure. I, I just I worry about the time. I, I I've just put myself on a schedule, and I have to do five articles a day, if I'm going to reach any kind of a maintain any kind of a schedule. Right. So I, I'm pounding myself now, and if it means staying up till two or three, I'll stay up till two or three. Yeah. But I got to get my five a day done. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's yeah. That's impressive. It really is. Interesting. It's fun. I, yeah. You know, and I'm learning so much. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. And, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? I mean, we elect people who <laughs> yeah. don't know anything. Well, yeah, yes, and that's the fear, yeah. It, it, the, the, one of the things I, uh, I, got, I got an email from a friend yesterday who's a, an economist, a, a former professor at IU, uh, and he was talking about the Indiana General Assembly and some of the dumb stuff that they mm. do or or try to do and and I wrote back and I said just remember that the Indiana General Assembly is far more representative of the general public than it ought than we would like for it to be interesting and he wrote back and he said if that's the case then we ought to just put a sign at all of our state borders that said forgive forgo all hope all ye who are oh, here no. and I wrote back and I said no but it does put a damper on optimism sure I mean there is a problem we we people have an emotional interest in something and they run and they get elected because they seem to be a nice guy or a nice go or girl um, and then they're there mm -hmm. and I just I never forget my experience I it was a truly representative body mm -hmm. there were smart people and dumb people they mm -hmm. were hard workers and lazy people there were uh, honest people and dishonest people I, it was it was a fascinating experience interesting but you worry about what comes out of that kind of a, right. a thing? So if, if you can put together a public that is better informed, more thoughtful, and more interested in, in good government, mm -hmm. and, and we got to teach it better in schools too, that'll be in, in one of these papers, but sure. uh, maybe we can get, a, get to a better place. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the goal. I think we're a country that is an experiment and we're still experimenting. Sure. Yeah. No. It's. Uh, yeah. It seems clearly the case. It's an yeah. ongoing process. So. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's really really good. It's interesting. Very very interesting. Um. See, so yeah, I guess going back now to. Yeah, I'm sorry. To, I, no, I, that's, I get way off your this, subject. I'm this sorry. is this is no. That's, that's good. I mean, the the more things you share, I mean, the more interesting it's going to be for people and. And people listening and reflecting uh, on this history. So, um, so when you were running your campaign, uh, did you have a particular campaign strategy at all, or no? We we had a, a, an excellent Republican organization mm -hmm. in Marion County. Uh, okay, Keith Bulin was the county chairman, a lawyer here in town, terribly able, uh, very very dedicated to uh, good government more interested in gov good government than anything else and uh, and he and he was an enormously gifted organ organizer and motivator mm -hmm. so we went around and we got all these precinct committee well then we'd have county conventions and he and others would would inform and and encourage all of that so it it wasn't just a central group making a decision it was it was shared with mm -hmm. the county as a whole. Um, I don't know how, what your question was now, but 
<laughs> I was asking uh, well, if you had a campaign strategy. They, no, they had the campaign strategy. Right, they did, and, yeah. and, the, and the strategy was to have at every precinct level people mm -hmm. who were active in the organization right. who knew what was going on and would be supportive and have input. I sure. mean, and those of us who were elected went to the township Republican club meetings to talk about issues that, that we were addressing and to get their feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a young Republican organization that, that had become a real Republican organization. And right. we had social events, but they were also political events. Um, so it was, it was a really broad-based consortium of people. Yeah. Uh, and that was the strategy. The strategy was every precinct person is given as much support as mm -hmm. that person needs to get people to the polls and make sure they're informed and make sure they're voting right. Sure. And they did, and, and we continued to get elected. Yeah, okay. And who was your main oppo opponent at the time? Well, it was the party. Just the party. Yeah, because yeah, we, we, yeah. you know, we started out uh, in the House, right. eight, eight people at large. Yeah. That later became three-member districts. Right. And then finally, single-member districts. Yeah. Not long before I left, um, and that changed changed the dynamics a lot. Sure. But nevertheless, you still had a good county organization, mm -hmm. and so you went to your township right. organizations. I remember in the early days when we were at large uh, during the general election, uh, I lived down in Forty First and in, in Washington Boulevard, and the Greek church right across the street had a, the Greek festival every year. And the same weekend as the Greek festival, I was assigned to go down to mm -hmm. southern, southern Marion County mm -hmm. and go to the county fair and something sure. else down way out of my district or way out of my, my we were at large, so it was, yeah. it was all my district, but out of my area of influence. Right. And I thought, yeah, that's really dumb, <laughs> but that's the way it was. Yeah. I mean, we, we ran at large and we worked, worked with the organizations all around the county and, okay. and, and the county organization did the election. They, right. They were, they were the reason we won. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Very good. Um, so, what was your first election day like and how did it feel? Oh dear. Now that's way back. <laughs> um, I don't even remember whether it was my first election or a later election, but we, we would go poll to poll, mm -hmm. uh, just to check in with the workers right. who were there and thank them for their, their, their time and their effort, uh, give them encouragement. And I don't remember whether this was that one, but uh, it was either the first or the second, I think, election. I, I went to one polling place, and the first little area of tables mm -hmm. was, was the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And they thought I was Andy Jacobs. Oh, okay. And they were they were just they were all over me. Andy Jacobs was a congressman, mm -hmm. and, and thank you, Andy, and all that sort of thing. You know, I, and I didn't I didn't deceive them at all. I just yeah. I or, or relieve them of that impression yeah. at all, but just said thank you and all of that. <laughs> then yeah. went down and talked to the Republicans. <laughs> uh, so I remember that I remember that part of the election day, and uh, and I remember. And I don't think it, I think it was a later election. I went into the firehouse at 56th and Illinois, shaking hands with mm -hmm. with the firemen, and I went into the back area where they sleep, and and uh, there were desks there, 
and I saw on one of the desks a, a list of people not to vote for. Mm. I was one of them. Oh no! I figured I, figured <laughs> I must be doing something right. Yeah. So. <laughs> and uh, so, how did your feelings change after each re-election? Did you have any sort of uh, different mentality about? No, I. Um, Number one, it, this is this, this was not my life. You mm -hmm. know, it was sure. it was a terribly important part of my life. Right. But I practiced medicine, so yeah, uh, that's the, that's the main thing that I was oriented to, and I was having children, which is another right. major orientation. Um, I I don't think I changed at all. I, it was it, uh, I just looked at it as another opportunity to go do what needed to be done. In one of my elections, uh, I went to bed thinking I'd lost because mm -hmm. uh, that's what the polls looked like. Well, the next morning I found out that wasn't the case. In one of my early elections, one of the, no, it was not very early. It was when we were three-member districts. But the first time we were a three-member district, I remember writing to the guys that ran on the Democrat Party mm -hmm. and saying, I know you ran because you were concerned about our community and I want to represent you. And mm. if there are things that you would like to see done, please let me know so I, wow. I, I can do them. Um, and that was kind of my approach to politics. I, it was never, in my time in the legislature, we always said politics is 10%, mm. governing is 90%. Mm. And I co-sponsored a lot of legislation with Democrats. Yeah. and. Dick Bodine and I, who was the minority leader, uh, together worked out the Indiana Plan for Medical Education, which is the seven centers around the state. Mm -hmm. um, and he was, you know, uh, theoretically a political opponent, but uh, I, I never looked at it that way, and I don't think he looked at it that yeah. way. We were both there to do to do work. Sure. Um, What did you ask? What did you ask me? I was just talking about how uh, your feelings of of being elected changed over time. After they didn't. They election. didn't change. It was always yeah. one of the things that's really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, I said at the time, and I still think it's kind of interesting. In August, um, you really didn't remember what it was that was very important, and you mm -hmm. couldn't think of things that really had to be done. Right. And, but nevertheless, you knew you were going back. Come January, come the middle of say February, you'd bleed and die for those things that you were working on. Sure. I, I, and I've always thought that was really, really interesting. I've, it's just an observation, but it's how we can emotionally attach ourselves to something. Right. Yeah. Um, and and it's part. I think it's part of the American mm. competitive. Arrangement, you know, we re we really like our home team, and we're, yeah, we're really right. discouraged if they yeah. lose. And yeah. we had nothing to do with putting the team together, right. with how they performed, <laughs> right. and we're not affected by their loss. But nevertheless, we take that on. Right. And I think that's similar to what happens to an elected person that people come to him and they start getting interested in and mm -hmm. and recognizing and, and 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 personally, emotionally invested in sure. in in accomplishing whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know if that's responsive. No, that's a, no, that's a that's a good good assessment. That's yeah, that is interesting. Um, now talking about uh, the general assembly and what was going on there, um, 
what were you thinking when you walked into the state house for the first day of uh, the legislative session? Oh, I was terribly impressed. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's there. There is a real. I don't know. It's a sense of awe. Uh, it's a burden of responsibility. It's all of those things. Mm-hmm. That and and I don't think I lost that over the years. Right. Uh, you you walk into that building. And it's a different place. It's a, it's a, a shrine to democracy. And it's, yeah. um, I, I got to see some of the, the less exciting st- side of government and politics, but nevertheless, I, I maintain and still maintain a high degree of respect for and, mm-hmm. and, and humility in the presence of, of the facility and the process that goes on there. Yeah. That's good. Um, and did the legislative process meet your expectations or did it exceed your expectations? Uh, I don't know that I had any expectations. Okay. Hey. Um, I learned a lot. Yeah. I, my first year there, uh, a fellow who had been speaker from Marion County in the past, uh, Dick Guthrie, um, gave us a little orientation session because all of us were freshmen. We'd never been, mm-hmm. none of us had ever been there before. Sure. And, and about how to behave and what to do and all that. Well, right. one, of the things, one of the things he told us was, if you've got a bill in there and it's assigned to a committee, always go to the chairman and, and ask for a hearing on your bill. Mm-hmm. So I had a bill, I can't remember what it was. Uh, and it was in, I think, the Ways and Means Committee. And John Coppice was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. And I went to John and I asked him for a hearing on my bill. And I and he said, fine. So we had the hearing, and I had all my witnesses my mm-hmm. te- to, to give their testimony and all the rest of it. And the end of the meeting came, and he moved to adjourn. And I said, John, when are we going to vote on the bill? And he says, I promised you a hearing. I didn't promise you a vote, mm. which taught me a lot yeah. <laughs> in, a very, sure. in a very short order. Yeah, definitely. So, <laughs> so I guess that was kind of just... Uh, Going through this experience helped teach you a lot about the ins and outs of state government. And Absolutely. How it worked, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're always learning. If you're not always learning, you're dead. You yeah. know, it's, um, and you're learning, learning about the facts of the issues, but mm-hmm. you're also learning about how to deal with people, how best to get, get where you want to go. Right. Uh, you know, maybe you learn it well enough, maybe you don't. I, I thought I had gotten pretty good at it, mm-hmm. but uh, and I got to, got to be the majority leader, and that was fine. Then I ran for speaker, and I got beat. Well, that's because I didn't do some things I should have done. Mm, okay. And and I so I learned some of my lessons too late. Right. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, did you have any political mentors once you got settled into the general assembly? Well, Bill Ruckelshaus. Okay. Uh, who had, who knew more about what was going on? He was majority leader our freshman year. Yeah, um, was was one. Uh, Keith Bulin, who had served previously and was our, was mm-hmm. our ch- county chairman, was one. Bert Servas was one who was the chair of the the city county council or not city council and then city county council. Um, uh, John Burkhart. 
And there, those were, I guess, the mentors. Yeah. Um, I, I would guess that they were, they were the mentors. Okay, sure. And uh, so, in the General Assembly, how did you know the needs and wants of your constituents? Well, we went out to, to mm -hmm. talk to them. We went to the sure. went to the township meetings. Uh, we, we made ourselves available mm -hmm. by phone and by letter. Uh, mostly, and, and we went during the, the election time. We would go around to various precincts and go to door to door yeah. with the precinct committeemen. Uh, so they they knew us and we knew them, and, mm -hmm. and that was pretty much how we yeah okay. Yeah. How we heard it, and, and you know, and and then there, then there were the lobbyists. Mm -hmm. um, terribly important part of the assembly. Terribly important. You know that you can't know everything about everything. They're a great source of information. You cannot allow them to be determinative, mm -hmm. um, which I think they sometimes are. Yeah. Which I don't like. One of the things that that has changed in the assembly, which I regret, the first year I was elected, the first. First session, first week of the first session, the lobbyist for the restaurant association and the state chairman of the Republican Party invited me to dinner, mm. and we had dinner down at, at King Cole Restaurant. And then the, they said, "We're going to show you how to be a good legislator, a successful legislator." Mm. So we we left and we went over to the hotels, the Lincoln and the, the uh, what was the other one? I can't remember the name of the other one. Um, and went around to what were called hospitality suites. A hospitality suite was a was a, a hotel room with a bar that was rented by a lobbying organization, mm -hmm. whether it be the truckers or the teachers or the REMCs or whoever it was. Okay. Uh, each one was a different place, and the host was there from who was the lobbyist, but mainly just to provide uh, availability. They did not. They did not hassle you. They did not push you at all. If you had questions about something that they were interested in, you could ask them, and they would give you the information. Mm -hmm. But mainly, it was a chance for Democrats and Republicans to go and talk with each other, mm -hmm. and if there were specific issues they needed to discuss, to discuss them. That's where Bodine and I worked out the the medical right. plan. Um, those were terribly important. Mm -hmm. And and they're terribly they were terribly important in Washington and, and there's a loss in Washington just as there's a loss here, the people who who don't know anything about the legislative process but want want it to be fair right um, didn't like the, the hospitality suites okay it, it, too much access for the lobbyists the lobbyists are bad people mm -hmm. you know, they're all self interested and they're okay. awful people um, not so. I mean, they, they really they, they really did not try to talk to you about their issues. If you wanted to talk about the issues, they were there to provide information. But, it, but the big deal was Republicans and Democrats were together in yeah. a social setting, getting to know one another, not necessarily talking legislative stuff, talking about other things, talking about families, talking about sports, whatever. Sure. Um, and as a result, that was reflected in the functioning of the assembly, because you didn't take out, take out after other people. You right. knew who they were. You knew that their your goals were similar to your goals. They may have a different way of getting there, but we we were collegial. 
Mm -hmm. And that was a positive thing. Yeah, sure. Same thing, same thing in Washington. The t there was a time when the legislators didn't spend 80 hours a day on the phone trying to raise money. They did have social events. They didn't live in Washington. They had, might have an apartment in Washington, but they went home on the weekends. But they also had social events in the evenings in Washington where the two parties were both there and they talked. Mm -hmm. that, didn't, that didn't happen anymore. Yeah, and, and and I think those are both losses for the process because they they don't open eyes to other ways of thinking. Yeah, and and from people that you respect, even though you differ, that's 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 an important part of the process, and it's and it's gone, and that's I think that's a that's a loss. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Hmm. Um. You might have mentioned this already, but what was the first bill that you ever sponsored in the General Assembly? I don't know. You don't know? Okay. I don't know. Uh, first, I have no idea. I know that that, that it had, had to do with, it may have been the, the, the kids driving. I, okay. I, don't, I really yeah. don't know. My orientation in the first session was safety and health, and I, so yeah. I, I just don't remember. Sure. Okay. No problem. Um, and what were what were the regular interactions like amongst members of the General Assembly, formal and informal? They were good. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we would go to lunch together. Okay. Bipartisan yeah. groups would go to lunch together every day somewhere, uh, Block's Tea Room or uh, Air's mm -hmm. Tea Room or someplace, and oh, okay. uh, and then we had in the evenings, various organizations, Lily and others would have receptions. And we would see each other at the receptions, and uh, so so we had really, really good, as I said earlier, collegial relationships yeah. with one another, uh, unlike it is today. But, mm -hmm. but uh, we we I mean a little like it would be in an office, you know, if mm -hmm. if you're working for a company and you've got ten or fifteen people in a room all in their separate cubicles, all doing stuff separately right but they still go to the break room together and right. they may go out to lunch together and yep. they care about each other's families and yeah um and it was like that mm -hmm. so the yeah the political parties mix very well and, and very well yeah. very very well we 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 didn't we really did say that only 10 percent of this political and yeah you know each party decided what it was going to try to make its political point sure and and then, then, then did it. Um, yeah. I guess one of my toughest times was when uh, Vance Hartke died, mm. and and as majority leader, I had to eulogize him. Yeah. Well, I didn't think a whole lot of Vance Hartke as oh. a senator. Okay. Uh, but I tried the best I could to yeah. be fair and, and sure and positive. But wow. Okay. Same thing with with uh, with Hubert Humphrey. Yeah. Uh, they were the different party, but yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, people who are willing to give part of their life to public service have to be admired for that. I right. mean, they do it for all kinds of reasons. Some of them because they really want good government. Some of them because they've got an ego that just doesn't stop. You know, mm -hmm. there are all kinds of reasons why people do it. But, uh, but it's not, it is a sacrifice sure. for most people. There are some people whose, whose uh, professions might be helped you know I, I guess there are lawyers who might be helped some by it right 
but uh, but by and large, it's a service, and we ought to admire and, and respect and appreciate the service. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, did you remember any differences, if at all, between the House and the Senate in terms of how they... Yeah, I, I do. Okay. I, uh, uh, what bothered me a lot was that the House Republicans and the Senate Republicans mm -hmm. never talked to each other. Oh, really? Okay. And, and I thought, that didn't make any sense. We ought to jointly know where we're <laughs> headed and what we're going to be doing. And yeah. you could pass a bill in the House that was, you thought perfectly good bill and you sent it to a, have a good sponsor in the Senate sure. and it wouldn't even be heard. Yeah. Um, and our, our positions politically were not necessarily missed because we never really talked to each other. Mm -hmm. That really bothered me a yeah. whole lot because in Marion County we did. Right, and right. We were very used to meeting Senate and, and House people together, coming yeah. to consensus about goals and all the rest of it. Didn't happen at the state level. And That's that, interesting. That bothered me. Huh. Wow. Um, do you remember much about your seatmate at all in the General Assembly? Well, I had. I know you must have had several different ones. Of them. Yeah. I, was there any particular one no. that uh, you remember well, or? Well, I but but not for any particular yeah. reason. Okay. Uh, I mean, Thames Mosey, who was from up in northern Indiana, I mm -hmm. was a seatmate, and I liked Thames. Uh, Janice Cremens from Marion uh, was a gal, and mm -hmm. I, you know, and uh, so we got along fine together. I, no, I don't. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fine. Uh, could you talk about the the process um, for generating a bill and what that was like for you? Well, there there are a couple of different ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are at least three different ways. One one is you have an idea in your own head that you, yeah. that you want to have, that you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. uh, my only story about that is one time going to the Legislative Services Agency, which we called at that time the Legislative Council, mm -hmm. and uh, and asking for something to happen in a bill. And the guy looked up and he said, we can't do that. I said, why not? And he said, that's against the law. And I said, do you understand what it is we do here? Mm -hmm. um, I remember that vividly, but one is, is your own idea of what mm -hmm. you'd like to see accomplished. Like many got, I mean, that was yeah. mine. Um, secondly is, is bills that uh, somebody brings to you. Mm -hmm. And you know, all the lobbyists out there can't pass a bill by themselves. They have right. to find a sponsor. So they go and find somebody and sure. you know, clearly the, the medical people would come to me because yeah. I've, of my background. Right, right. Um, so I carried legislation for other others. And then third was was political bills that, that the parties mm -hmm. that you had decided, you know, we want to do, we want to accomplish as an organization, who's going to take this one, who's going to take that one, and spread those around and pass those around. Yeah. So there are three ways that, that the bills come to your, come into your hands. Right. Okay. Um, what roles did uh, party leadership play in, in legislation? Were they well-defined leadership? Uh, uh, I guess uh, like for not non-member leaders or no, uh, like member leaders, like you know, the, the speaker of the house or um, did they have a big impact on legislation? Yeah, if they didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, it would go. It would go into the, go into the safe, and you'd never see it again. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. Uh, 
when we passed UNIGOV, um, this is a, this is an accurate story. Uh, governor Bowen, or not, it wasn't Governor Speaker Bowen at that time, wanted to be governor, mm. and he had not received the kind of support from Marion County that he felt he deserved. Okay, so he was very slow to hand down the Unicom bill, mm -hmm. and we began to wonder if it was ever going to come down. And so the, the uh, I think he wanted, wanted Marion County to go to him and make a deal mm -hmm. for the county convention for him to become governor That's as fair. part of the price for passing Unigov. And so I, it, it wasn't moving, so I, I don't know whether the mayor called me or I called the mayor. Um, Anyway, in our conversation, I said, I think you need to show the speaker that the public is really supportive of that, and why don't you call him and talk to him about it? So I gave him the, the speaker's mm -hmm. private phone number. Well, Dick, to his credit, apparently we didn't communicate well enough because he went in front of the press mm. and said, the speaker wants to know that you all are supportive of this. Everybody call this number. So people from all over Marion County were calling for and against Unigov oh to the speaker's my. office on his private line. Oh my gosh. And uh, that did not endear him. I bet. Uh, endear us with to him. I think finally uh, either Keith or, or Dick had a conversation with him mm -hmm. and, and got that ironed out. So the last day that it was eligible for reading, it came down. Yeah. But, uh, Interesting, okay. Um, did you have a sense of how people would vote prior to actually voting? Sometimes. I mean, you, you'd, want, you'd want to try to get a count. You want to get as close as you can. You right. can't count 100 people, but, yeah. but you'd go to certain people that you thought were influential in, in various groups. I remember there was one Democrat representative mm -hmm. that, that the saying went if you want his vote sit down next to him mm -hmm. when the when the ballot is cast because he won't vote against you yeah and so we did that and we always got his vote mm -hmm. you know and there are different ways that you do that you don't know though I, I I used to say and I still think it's probably accurate the real fun in the legislature is not passing a bill 70 to 5 the real fun in the legislature is passing 152 to 48 um, because then you worked at it. Right. And then it was a tough bill and it needed needed support. So you didn't always know, but but you had to, you had to do the work. I mean, that's, that was part of it. You, know, you, you knew who, who was influential with whom and who to talk to and who had interest in a particular area. I mean, it was part of, the, part of that social dialogue that you got at the, at the, at the hospitality suites. Right. You learned a lot there about where your problems were and what your opportunities were that you would then pursue over the next day or two or whatever it was until your bill was called down. Yeah. So you didn't know, you didn't know the outcomes. There were some bills you knew the outcome, you knew it was going to be 78 to nothing or 85 right. to nothing or something, but, uh, yeah. but those weren't the fun bills. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's see. Um, what was a time, I guess, well, you already talked about this, but uh, how often would you say that you had to get 
the other side's support to get legislation done? Was this a regular thing that you, you always needed to be able to work with you know, Democrats to get bills passed? Um, or were there times that you could just run it through your party and, and still be able to get it passed? Well, UNIGOV we had to do with our party. Yeah. Um, we weren't going to get Democrat support for that. Yeah. Most of the time, again, the social stuff, uh, most of the time you simply tried to get support from people on both sides of the aisle. Right. Um, not because, you're not trying to get the whole Democrats or the whole Republicans, but trying to get enough people that from both sides that it would be clear that it was not a partisan issue and, mm -hmm. and that there were a number of people. That, you know, you're working a hundred people, you cannot go to everybody on every bus. And, and so you, you selectively try I don't, I can't, I can't think of any time we actually went to the other party per se, mm -hmm. you know, went asked them in their caucus to help to support us with something. I mm -hmm. don't know that that ever happened. Yeah. Okay. You did go to your caucus. Right. I mean, if you had anything that was controversial, you did, did, did talk to your caucus about getting support sure. for it. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, shifting gears a little bit. What would you say the public doesn't know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? Well, again, you have to define public. Yeah, I guess the, the, the average person. Uh, there is no average person. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> I guess the, the man on the street yeah. just knows that it exists. Right. And he knows that, that it passes laws. Okay. Most of those don't affect him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't think much about it. He doesn't read much about it in the paper, even yeah. though it's there. And he just assumes things will go on. Right. I think if you want the average man on the street, that's mm -hmm. where they are. They're, yeah. What happens in the General Assembly is not on their radar. Sure. Uh, those who have a, a specific issue they're concerned about, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not the average yeah. man on the street. Yeah. Um, did your legis—I guess actually we talked about your legislative service. It didn't appear to have a much of an impact on your family life, um, since it was only part of your life. Well, it had an impact. I mean, it's—it's mm -hmm. it's clear that that my family knew what I was doing. Right. Of my, course, my folks lived with us. Yeah. Okay. In, uh, in their last years, and I remember my dad looking over at me once and saying. Why do you do what you do? Mm. And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Why do you why do you serve in the, in the in the legislature?" And I said, "Because I, I think these are important issues, sure. important for our country, and and I think good people need to be there to help them make good decisions." He looked at me. He said, "When they're through with you, they'll chew you up and spit you out so fast you won't know what hit you." Mm. Well, interestingly enough, after I lost the speakership, uh, I announced my retirement in like February. Yeah. And May was going to be the county convention. Okay. Uh, clearly I was in my seat until my successor was elected and qualified. Right. Is the, is the words. Um, which was not going to be until November. But the May convention, convention, the county convention was in May and always before I'd been at the county convention and I'm sitting on the podium with everybody, all the other elected officials. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even invited. Wow. So I, my, my dad's words rang a bell with me. Yeah. It's a, 
That's interesting. That's a, what can you do for me today? Yeah, yeah. It's a, wow. Jeez. Um, in terms of legislation work, um, what were the most controversial legislative issues during your time in the assembly? Obviously, Unigov was, was probably a major one. Were there any others? Yeah, but I can't remember. Okay. I mean, there were there were major issues nearly every session, but sure. but out of sixteen sessions, I can't. That's can't, a lot. Yeah. Can't go back and, and do yeah. any of that. You know, for, almost every bill has somebody that that wants it more than anything in the world. Mm -hmm. And and which ones of those would rise to the level of major issues, I can't yeah. tell you. Yeah, no, right that's, that's fair, yeah. Um, what legislation did you work hardest on? I don't remember working any harder or less hard mm -hmm. on anything. I Okay. Um, you know, it's like a if you're if you if you're the bricklayer on a house mm -hmm. and somebody asks you which side of the house did you yeah. lay bricks harder than the other side. Right. It would be a, hard to tell you. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, the work was the work. Yeah. And, and it, it Regardless of the issue, you worked at it, and, sure. if, and if and if it was your bill, you worked harder. Mm -hmm. If it was a bill you were interested in, you still worked. You know, to, to let people know you were yeah. supportive and what can I do to help. And um, it's it's a job. You you, yeah. you do the whole job. You don't do pieces of the job. Right. So I I can't tell you. No, that's good. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Um, what was your proudest moment as a legislator? Probably Unigov. Unigov. Yeah. Um, probably that. I, I can't. Uh, I can't think of anything else that would that would rise to that mm -hmm. level. We did a lot of good stuff. I, I I'm proud of a lot of it, but um, but I can't say I'm most proud of it. I, mean, mm -hmm. I think the White River Park is a yeah. Real asset for our community. It was hard sure. to pass because uh, it was for Marion County. Right. And I guess one of the things I was most proud of while we were there was overcoming that bias. There is a huge anti-Indianapolis, anti-Marion County bias around the state. Mm -hmm. They think we get everything that's, a, you know, the yeah. focal. Right. Um, and we worked really, really, really hard to overcome that. And I think we did a good job of it before. Yeah. By the time, uh, by the time I left, I think we were much more. You know, some of my some of my closest people were from Allen County, Lake mm -hmm. County, uh, Evansville. Um, I don't. I don't think. You know, when I ran for speaker, all the people who had been elected previously and served with me supported me. I lost because we had a landslide, and a lot of freshmen were uh, were elected, and 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 a county chairman. Um, Orvis Beers was the county chairman in the second district, which is Fort Wayne. All the Fort Wayne people supported me, but the county chairman was also the lobbyist for the the banks. 
mm. the small banks around the state in the, in, okay. the, in, the, in the little in the little smaller counties. And one of the the issues that was big in that time was cross county banking, which would allow uh, a big Indianapolis bank to go in and take over a bank in Hamilton County or surrounding counties. Mm -hmm. And I opposed that, which they did. All of those small counties were strongly opposed. But I did support uh, multi-bank holding counties so that, that a large bank could accrue a relationship with smaller banks in other parts of the state because we needed to accrue capital. Right. And, and if we didn't, we were going to be in trouble. Banks were getting bigger all across the country. Sure. And uh, when we... When... Uh, When Orvis Beers, who was the bank, the, the, apparently he went to county chairman around the, the state and got all the freshmen to vote against me. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know how, how I got started on this subject, but um, I don't remember the origin of the question. Oh, it was just uh, your proudest moment as a legislator. Well, that's not my proudest moment. Yeah, <laughs> but that's okay. Oh, you already um, talked about it a bit, so. Oh well. Was I guess I got off on the anti-Marion County. That was part of the of the issue with with getting the White River Park, and so right. I was I was proud of getting that done. And the answer was because the people in Indianapolis live farther from a state park than anybody in any of the rest of the right. state. Yeah. And so we ought to have one here that people could, sure. could visit, which which we did. Um, I, I, I there probably are others I can't remember what they were. I'm sure there are some relative relative to medicine, but I can't. Okay. Yeah. Remember what those are. One of the big mistakes I made. Mm, sure. Was that I was a strong opponent for certificate of need for hospitals. Mm. Uh, the, the idea was to. to passed a state law that said you couldn't build a new hospital unless you applied to the state and, and proved that, in fact, there was a necessity for building one there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I opposed that because I was a, a free market mm -hmm. kind of guy. I would, I, would, I would jump on that and support that in a mm -hmm. minute today. We are so overbuilt yeah. with, with hospital facilities, and, and that's a direct contributor to the cost of health care. Yeah. Uh, we have to amortize those costs, and we're amortizing way too much cost mm -hmm. over the same number of people. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's just pure economics. And yeah. there, are th there are certain things that, that I've become increasingly aware of over time that the private sector doesn't work very well on. And it's time for government to have some oversight, not to, not to interfere with private decision-making, but to make sure that private decision-making is not so private that it helps one person and hurts a lot of other people. Right. Yeah. Um, so you know, there were probably some medical areas that I that I was proud of, but I can't remember what they are. Okay. Uh, what was uh, committee work like for you? It was just work. I mean, yeah. you 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 get a bill, you try to find out as much yeah. about it as you can, and okay. you listen to the people who testify and sure. make a decision about whether this is a good thing to do or not a good thing to do, and then vote. And how did you find yourself on, on the committees that you served on? I guess the health one makes sense since you're a doctor. Um, I looked through those committees, and yeah. 
seems to me I was on health and public safety, and yeah. I was a chair of the affairs of Marion County for most of my time there until I became right. majority leader. Um, so, you know, that work was just work. I I enjoyed the committee work and mm -hmm. all, all the committees I was on, and I, it, as a chair, uh, you try very hard to look through what people are suggesting and and talk to and think about other things that need to be done in the area that you're responsible for. Yeah. Um, and then the process goes forward. I, I, I enjoyed the committee work. It was... Uh, yeah, okay. Good. It's, you know, if you get the vote. If you don't ask for the vote sometimes, <laughs> though, you don't get the vote. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome during your time in office? Time. Time. You know, I was trying to practice medicine and be yeah. a good legislator at the it's, same yeah. same time. A lot, a lot it to was, it was, balance at once. It was tough. If I if I had not had good associates in my practice, I couldn't have yeah. done it. Sure. Um, in your opinion, what's the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Creating a a general uh, milieu in the state that is receptive and supportive of investment and maximizes opportunity for the residents. Uh, we need we we need business to come here. We need people to locate here. Uh, we need to be. While we're, while we're working on the, the development and growth side, we need also to be looking at uh, the needs of, of people who are less able to take care of themselves. Right. Uh, we need, and, and, and uh, you know, educate, why am I doing this 130 people project? Because mm -hmm. there are, we have 21 issues mm -hmm. that we think there are multiple considerations. Yeah. You know, take elections alone, the changes that need to occur in elections are not just one or two. There are five or six things we need to be doing. Sure. And that's true across the board on issues. So the, the goal, I think, in governing the state or in serving as a legislator is to maximize the, the growth and economic vitality of the state while at the same time assuring maximal opportunity for participation and benefits to its citizens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how important would you say it is to work with the other party? Oh, it's, I think it's vital. Mm -hmm. I, and, and, the, and part of the problem is that I don't, I don't put parties as high on my list of important yeah. As I do people and sure. issues. Yeah. Um, and when you're dealing with people and issues, they're not partisan. Right. So, so you need to work with other legislators, regardless of party, to accomplish goals that you think are important for the state. Um, so it's not a party deal to yeah. me. I, I am really... Uh, the party served me as a, as a tool to help me get elected mm -hmm. and to help me be informed uh, right. as I, as I proceeded. Yeah. But, but, but it wasn't a philosophical bulwark or castle in which I hid right, in order right. to throw spears at another party. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. 
Um, <clears throat> let's see, going into some specific legislation that you worked on uh, based on some of the research I've done, um, <clears throat> I, I guess during your time in the legislature, there was a debate regarding the lack of merit-based promotion, uh, lack of a merit-based promotion system in the Indianapolis Police Department. Could you describe for me what was happening at the time and what your role was in that? <laughs> if you remember it. <laughs> I don't remember very well. I, I, I tell you, I do remember being opposed to allowing collective bargaining okay. by public employees um, and played a, a role away from the assembly in assuring that that didn't happen at the time. Uh, aside from that, uh, we tried to be as supportive as we could to both mm -hmm. the, uh, the 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 organized or, or uh, statutory mm -hmm. bodies and and the private ones. You know, in, in, in fire protection, uh, a major part of fire protection in Marion County was volunteer fire departments. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't uh, organized public ones. Uh, we tried to be as supportive as we could to all of those organizations. We did have some concerns uh, in, back in the UNIGOV days of the sheriff and the police department when there, were, there was a lot of overlap mm -hmm. and uh, I remember one of the things that bothered us a little bit was the sheriffs were getting rich collecting mm. um, and and that seemed to be inappropriate uh, yeah. to us so we tried to change that I've forgotten your question but no that's that's fine it, yeah it was just about the, the merit-based promotion system the Indianapolis Police Department I don't uh, I don't remember being actively involved in that okay. discussion okay Sure. Do you see? Did you see something in my history that um, suggests that? I, I did see some, some newspaper articles about it. Um, I couldn't tell to what extent uh, your role was in, but I did. Your name was listed there. Um, I, ought get, the, I ought to go to the newspapers. I you guess. should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check out the archive at the state library. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Another piece of interesting legislation I came across was uh, about making force political donations unlawful do you remember anything about that vaguely vaguely okay uh, yeah we you know it was philosophical that i thought yeah. nobody ought to have to donate to somebody that, right. that they didn't personally su support mm -hmm. it's a little like uh right to work laws yeah you know it's i, I actually believe in in worker organizations mm -hmm. I don't believe that somebody who doesn't want to participate ought to be forced to pay right. for those organizations. So mm -hmm. it's, it's the same kind of thing. Sure. Okay. Um, I noticed in regard to the topic of pollution, you once introduced a bill that would ban projects that uh, would pollute public waters. What was happening at the time that inspired this legislation? No you idea. don't know? <laughs> no <laughs> Fair idea. enough. No idea. That it, yeah. People will have to go to the newspapers for that one. But yeah, yeah I, okay, that's that's fine. <laughs> well, I certainly don't believe in pollution. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Good enough. That's Good enough can, answer. That's all I can say. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see, do you remember anything about a bill that you worked on that was uh, allowing minors to get treated for sexually transmitted diseases without their parents' yeah, knowledge. Yeah, I, I remember that. Um, yeah. And, and I had, and I think I carried that for. Uh, 
don't know whether it was the League of Women Voters, but some outside organization. Mm -hmm. uh, the, pro the problem was we, were ha we had a venereal disease problem, mm -hmm. and, and one of the, the issues was that a, a minor mm -hmm. could not be treated for a sexually transmitted disease without the parent's consent. Right. Well, a lot of them did not want to admit to a parent, sure. and so we were prolonging the right. epidemic. Yeah. And and I said, we can't do that. We need to allow these people to be treated. Yeah. And it's not a matter of disclosure or family interference or anything else. It's just a matter of stopping a disease. Yeah. And so, yeah, I do remember that one. Yeah, okay. And my, my position was that you can't legislate whether, what a, a young couple is doing in their car at right. 12 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Uh, you also worked on legislation regarding uh, cigarette sales to minors. Do you remember that at all? Only vaguely. I, yeah. You know, I, I, I have major problems with, with cigarettes and now the vaping. Mm -hmm. uh, they are harmful. Yeah. And, you know, the question is, to what extent should government get into people's lives and keep them from hurting themselves? Right. Um, and the answer is, you know, it's the same thing with, with, with motorcycle helmets. Did you see anything about that? Um, I didn't actually see well, the motorcycle helmets. I carried a bill to require uh, people to wear motorcycle helmets mm -hmm. if they're on the road. Well, th th there are those who say, well, that's an interference with personal freedom. Mm -hmm. And my answer was, fine, wear the helmet in your house and on in your garage, on your motorcycle, all you want. Mm -hmm. If you go on a public street, that's a different deal. Right. We have to maintain the streets. If you get hurt, we have to supply the ambulance. We have yeah. to get you to the hospital. We have to take care of you. Sure. So there's a public interest mm -hmm. in that. And right. there's a public interest in you wearing your helmet. Right. Uh, so we passed that. Interesting. That law. Okay. And uh, it lasted a couple of years until one of my, the three party in our three member district, one of my fellow representatives introduced a bill to reduce the age to, uh, 21. Mm. So that you, if, if you're over 21, you could beat the hell out of your head. It didn't make any difference. Wow. Okay. Um, so he repealed it, repealed or amended it down. Yeah. To, so now it's just children. You know, basically. Okay. I don't um, know what the question was. It wasn't on helmets. Yeah, it was, it was, it was like about the, the cigarette sales to minors. Well, same deal. Yeah. Uh, same. And it's, and it's the same, same deal on driving, you know, mm -hmm. you know, Minors are minors, and they're minors for a reason. Right. Because they are not mature, their judgment is not mature, their thought processes are not mature. Let's give them time to mature before we ask them to make decisions that could be harmful to their lives. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, last question regarding uh, specific legislation. Do you remember anything about uh, working on legislation concerning the prevention of measles? No. Okay. What did it say? I did something about that. It's, it's there was yeah a couple articles about it. Um, it didn't go in, into lots of detail, but I was curious just to see. I don't I don't remember yeah. that. Uh, clearly, measles measles are a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, we didn't have the issue so much in those days mm -hmm. of vaccination. Yeah. But that's a major issue today. Sure. Yeah. And, and and the people who don't get vaccinated put other people at risk. Right. You know there are. There are people who, from an immunodeficiency standpoint, can't be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So if you take a person and put them next to them, who's chosen not to be vaccinated, yeah. he, in fact, can, can yeah. infect this person who can't yeah. be vaccinated. Yeah. So 
the more we vaccinate, the more we protect the people who don't get vaccinated. Right. Uh, but that's that has nothing to do with your question because but, uh, I, don't, I don't remember your question. Yeah, no, it's still it's still relevant politically. So. Yes, it is. Um, so now going to into almost finish here, um, going into your life after the General Assembly. Uh, let's see. Could you go back over? I think you talked about this a little bit, but when you officially left the Virginia, the General Assembly, and why? Well, I left because I'd been there 16 years. Yeah. While I was also trying to practice medicine. Yep. And I had risen as high as I could rise in the house, and mm -hmm. uh, was repudiated. Uh, I lost by one vote on the third ballot. Yeah. And and I and I and I think I, to a great extent, I was depressed. Mm. I might have stayed otherwise. Uh, I've had a number of, of legislators in recent years come to me and apologize for not voting for me. They say they they made a mistake, and I well, that's it's nice to hear. It doesn't change the fact well, yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, and and the interesting thing is about all of that that the new speaker kept cross county banking that whole process from passing for one session. Mm. And then it passed anyway. Okay. And in that period of time, Bank AFNB, which was larger than Bank One in Columbus, was acquired by Bank One. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, we lost all of our major banks, Indiana National Bank, Merchants Bank, all of them disappeared okay. sure. uh, to some bank headquartered in someplace else, which, as far as I was concerned, was C. Right. You know, what did we try to tell you? Yeah, and, and it's. Um, I don't. Again, I don't remember your question. I get off on my my points. No, that's that's okay. It was just about uh, you know when you left the Indiana General Assembly and why. Well, I left for that for that reason. I right. was and I. And it was hard um, because after sixteen years, a major part of my personality was. Of course. Was yeah. as a as a member of the assembly and. Uh, but medicine has a way of taking all the time you'll give it. Yeah. And so, sure. so I, I had no problem being, being, yeah, fully involved. And and, <laughs> and medicine was going through some changes at that time. Mm, okay. And the the year after I left the assembly, the president of the medical staff decided to have a retreat to talk about what was called. Um, I can't remember what the name was at the time. It became managed care. Mm -hmm. uh, HMOs were just starting to form, and, okay. P and PMOs, and nobody knew what those organizations even right. were. So he convened a uh, session uh, in the spring after I left the assembly, same year, uh, on this subject, and brought in some people from around the country to talk about what yeah. was happening in medicine. And we decided as a... a medical uh, body to form a, a physician medical organization, a PMO. We didn't have no idea, right. any idea what that was. We decided to form one, and they elected me the president of that. Okay. Um, so then I became active in managed care, uh, ended up being medical director for three managed care programs. Wow. So it, 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 there were other things that filled the void. Sure. Yeah, seems so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how would you summarize your time as a state legislator? An opportunity to serve. Mm -hmm. um, 
and 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 the satisfaction of feeling that I played a role in the in the health and and future of the state, right? In my minor, very minor role, but at least that I was there and I played a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is your favorite story or anecdote from your time as a legislator? Well, I've given you most of them. Okay. I <laughs> <laughs> wasn't sure if you had a favorite in mind, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah. No, I don't know. That, this is not a favorite, but I'll never forget it on the yeah. motorcycle helmet thing mm-hmm. when they came back to uh, to change the bill, change the law that we had passed. Uh, Doris Dorbecker, who was a representative from the south side of Indianapolis, was on the board of the National Kidney Foundation. Okay. And she said, uh, and she and she had chronic kidney disease herself and, and ended mm-hmm. up dying of that. But she she came to me and she said, sorry about that, but I got to thank Bob for passing that bill because now we'll have a lot more kidneys for transplant. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. That's just one little story. Right? Yeah. Another time, one of the legislators I had served with earlier on who had left, I don't know whether he got defeated or just retired, decided to come back. Yeah. But he'd been bald when he mm. left and he, he was in the hall and he had a toupee. Mm. And I saw him the first time and he smiled at me and said, hi. And I said, hi, I think I used to serve with your father. <laughs> Which he got a good kick out of. Yeah. And he's, he was, he's a good guy. He, yeah. he, when I ran for speaker, he flew me around the state. He was a private pilot. Oh, okay. Wow. It was a big help. Yeah. Um, let's see. What lessons, if any, did you learn as a legislator? Uh, always to to look behind the position to the motive. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you don't understand why somebody is taking the position that they're taking, you probably can't change their position. Right. I think that may may be the main lesson. That, and the other lesson is to listen yourself. Mm-hmm. To to always question whether you're right or wrong, and be willing to change if somebody has a better answer to an issue than you have. Sure. Um, I, th- I think listening and being true to your values are probably the, yeah. okay. the big thing. Uh, what advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? Oh, just that. Uh, yeah. You know, don't, don't come in thinking you're God. Right. Uh, be, be, be humble. Mm-hmm. Listen. You're a servant, and servants have an obligation to the people they serve. Mm-hmm. So, listen and learn, and uh, and always recognize that there's more than one way of looking at an issue, and try your best to understand yeah. all sides before you take a position. Ed Zigner was the reporter for the news, and in one of my early sessions, um, at the end of each session, Ed would. It was, mm-hmm. He was kind of the dean of the, of the legislative reporters. At the end of the session, he would give a speech to a joint session, okay. the House and the Senate, recu- re- recouping what he thought mm-hmm. he heard right. and what the press thought of the session. Okay. And in this particular session, we had a, a Baptist minister from the South Side mm-hmm. who was way over there. Okay. I mean, he was way over there. He wanted anybody convicted of a sexual crime to be 
uh, castrated. Oh uh, no! Uh, okay. You know, and and, and on and on. Okay. I just, I don't think he accomplished a thing while yeah. he was there. Wow. Uh, but Ed Signer, at in the course of his talk, that at the end of that particular session, he said, "You know, I've been thinking about something." He said, it finally occurred to me that there's nothing quite so dangerous as the man who thinks he has truth up his sleeve. Mm -hmm. And everybody knew exactly what he was saying. Yeah. And then he said, except the man who thinks God put it there. Mm. And I've never forgotten that. It's, and, and everybody knew exactly who he was talking about. Yeah. And he didn't come back. He was only there one session. I don't remember his name. Interesting. Uh, but I've always liked that comment. Yeah. So, that's very interesting. Hmm. Okay. Um, how has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? Oh, it's changed like everybody, everything else. Yeah. I mean, uh, everything is modernized. Yeah. Uh, you know, technology has occurred. The... Uh, I don't think we're any, I think we would say the same thing had happened in Ohio or Kentucky or Illinois. Mm -hmm. uh, communication has improved. Sure. Uh, our, our financial systems are streamlined. The thing that hasn't improved is the pension system. Mm. And the unfunded liability for public pensions mm -hmm. is going to kill us yeah. if we don't address it. Mm. Uh, Illinois is already in major trouble over it uh, and, and and we've got to deal with it uh, you know, we, we've got an obligation to these people we've contractually agreed that we're going to pay them this money we don't have the money mm. uh, so what do you do that's, yeah yeah so and and so any of that is not any different from any place else but but that's that has become a, a terribly important issue that people are still not addressing sure uh, but the, but the main thing is we've just we've, we've Society is modernized. We, yeah. We're not the same in 2020 as we were in 1967. Right. Okay. Um, how has the General Assembly changed? I think it's less collegial. Okay. By a long shot. Yeah. More political. Um, probably less responsive to the general public. Okay. More responsive to uh, politics and special interests. And I and I say that as a person who doesn't spend a lot of time down there, so it's it's a right. it's a, a a poorly informed statement. Okay. Uh, and I will acknowledge that I don't claim to have expertise. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what if any enduring qualities do Hoosiers still have or hold dear? Hoosiers generally, I think, are really friendly people, and I think they. And I can't say that we're different from other people. Mm -hmm. If I were a legislator in Kentucky, I might say the same thing. But yeah, um, but I think Hoosiers tend to care about people. Okay. And uh, and they're friendly. Um, I think there is, as as with the rest of the country, there is more polarization now than there ever was. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's, I think that's in contrast to what I think is the basic Hoosier personality. Right. I think Hoosiers generally tend to be uh, compassionate and friendly mm -hmm. and tolerant, but that's not what we're seeing 
in a lot of our political dialogue these days. Okay. Yeah. And that bothers me a whole lot. Sure. And it's specifically what I'm trying to address with my work. Right. Of course. Um, last question. What do you want Hoosiers to know about their role in relation to the function of the Indiana General Assembly? It's theirs. And, and it'll, it'll be whatever they want it to be if they, if they in fact, want to, want, mm-hmm. to, want to have an influence. Um, there are those uh, who, who, uh, who care enough to form organized uh, positions on certain issues. Right. And more power to them. Uh, the, the General Assembly is there to listen and respond to the needs of its citizens. And if the citizens recognize that mm-hmm. and think about how things could be better and organize to try to make them better, the General Assembly will ultimately respond. Mm-hmm. Its ability to respond will be compromised by politics. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you have any... Anything else you want to add, or anything that we didn't talk about? We, we talked about a lot more than I ever thought we'd talk yeah. about. Fair enough. Okay. Well, thank you so much for doing this. this I need to get a pen. Fantastic. Yeah. I'll get these turned off here. And... <laughs>